<laughs> Ian, what did that make you think of? Uh, Count Chocula. That's right. We're talking about Count Chocula. Or no, I, I, otherwise known as the... Oh, go ahead. The ca- Count. Okay, we're talking about the Count from Sesame Street. Otherwise wait, no, known Nosferatu. as the face of evil. No, wait, Nosferatu. Okay, we're talking about Nosferatu. Wait, no, Tom Cruise in an interview with the vampire. I'm going to go into Tom, Tom Cruise. Sorry, I went silent there because Nosferatu's a silent movie. Oh, uh, so we're talking, talking about Com- we're talking about Tom Cruise. We're talking about the face of evil. That's right. This is Jubilee Street, a music podcast. I am Ian McCurtis. He is your host, mm-hmm. Jake Curtis. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm Jake Curtis. Sorry, the evil's getting to me. We're talking about a song today. Ian, let's tell the listeners what we're talking about. Evil by Grinderman. There was a podcast named Jubilee Street, a music podcast hosted by Jake and Ian. Rick and Morty, Rick and Morty, a bushy vagina, no boobs allowed. Rick and Morty, Rick and Morty, a bushy vagina, no boobs allowed. That's right, we're back. Grinderman is back. It's summer, it's hot. People want, are getting angry. Stakes is high. The forests are burning. And then Grinderman comes through, up through the ashes. The smoke clears. He's holding his guitar. His dick is in his other hand. And lightning <laughs> bolts shoot down behind him. That sounds like a, a, the next Tenacious D movie. <laughs> um... We talked a little bit about this on the episode we recorded prior to this. I'm not sure which one will come out before the other. I might just put these out the same uh, day since they, they will go well together. Is that cool? Uh, that's fine with me. I'll, I'll make sure to get them to you tonight. So, Ian, I, I, I kind of know the answer to this, but just to start off, like, uh, why? W- what made you choose a Grinderman song? What was the influence? Well, because we were doing the Viagra Boys album, so you were like, let's do a Nick Cave song too. So I was trying to think of... What song matches that album the most? And it could have been numerous Grinderman songs, but I thought this was a good one. So, right off the bat, this is one of my favorite Grinderman songs. I think it manages to be completely like fun and silly, but also like very dark and beautiful at times. Um, and there's some really like kind of sad, like angry energy to it as well what do you think yeah it play i mean i think grinding man's good at playing with that a lot like the on the surface it looks really silly and then there's like you know he said he wanted he wanted this to be like his middle-aged crisis band there's a lot of like sad undertones to a lot of these songs exactly well, what do you think the evil version of jake and ian what, what's the evil version of jubilee street look like what what do we cover what do we act like? Uh, we probably just cover, like, I don't know. That's a great question. Um, so let's assume that these versions of us, like, right now are the canaries, like the orange canaries. Yeah, hopefully we're the good ones. And then, let's assume that we're not the evil ones. And then if we're not the evil ones, then the evil, like, squid things, the squid Ian. And what's it called in Rick and Morty when they go to that spa and then they get separated? Mm. I don't remember. Remember that? They're, it's, they're, like, it's, it's like the worst versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. Like They're all covered in slime. Uh, that's what we would look like. I feel like we would probably... We, like We're probably a Coheed and Cambry podcast. 
No, not necessarily. I think we'd probably be like a like a like a My Morning Jacket podcast. Oh God, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would rather. <laughs> that's how we know that's the evil. Corey, one, if you're right? listening, I will talk about every Coheed song before I talk about My Morning Jacket. <laughs> we'd be like a My Morning Jacket podcast, or and Wilco, um, one of those bands that Chia liked at Great Escape, uh, like Avid Brothers or something. Yeah, Ava, uh, Lumineers. Mm. Lumineers. It'd be like a Lumineers album. You know, we get an email from the Lumineers like, we were big fans of the podcast of this episode. Uh, yeah, something like that. And then it, we wouldn't be funny at all. We'd be, like, very serious about it. Like, we'd be like, this is the best My Morning Jacket song. Jim James. Uh, Jake looks a lot like Jim James. Uh, you know, these are our favorite. We love these lyrics about being home and, you know, going to the country and it's just a great album i spent so much time listening to this in the summer of 05 npr core yeah exactly it'd be like that and uh we'd be like uh, you know black lives matter here uh you know but also all lives matter and uh <laughs> you know like don't don't want to hurt anybody's feelings if, if you um, ever need to make some extra cash you could just play that character and host a radio show that sounded, I mean, it sounded like I turned on 91.9 here in Louisville. And then if you want to throw in a little bit more of what the evil versions of us would sound like, it'd kind of be like, there's this song by Journey, and I hear the guitar line, and it makes me cry because men are not taken seriously in this world. There's no reason why men should not be able to tell a woman what to do with their bodies. Men are stronger than women biologically. <laughs> That's my Jordan Peterson impression. That's Ian Peterson. Ian Peterson. And uh, I feel like one of us would have to wear like a douchey shirt, like uh, like a shirt, like a tank top. I'm with stupid. Like you're wearing now where it has like a picture of boobs, but it's got like the crossed out sign on it, like no boobs allowed. Oh, so yeah. So it's like no girls allowed kind of thing. I think my grandpa had a shirt like that. <laughs> Definitely we'd be, we, we would be recording in our man caves for sure. Yeah, I need a sign in here somewhere that says main cave. I don't got one. You'd unironically be referring to Courtney as your old bag or the old ball and chain. Yeah, the old, yeah, the old ball and chain. I hate that shit so much. The old lady. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's exactly what it, If that's our evil version, that's what it would be. But uh, Got to gotta the, ask the boss if I can do that. I got to let me report back to the wife. You happy know, we wife, play happy some, life. You know, uh... uh you know, homie, tonight I'm going to get up to some uh, bedroom polo if you catch my drift. <laughs> bedroom polo. The, the, the wife says it's she's finally ready. It's been six months. Hoo-wee. Hoo-ah. Hoo-ah. <laughs> That's my Al Pacino. Hey, it's me, Al Pacino. Hoo-ah. Feels good to be back, you grinder, man. <clears throat> we can be silly. We can be ourselves. But it's like coming home. I feel like we're... I, I feel like that's how Jubilee Viagra Street Boys felt, too. It was the, it was the homecoming of Jubilee Street. You know, it's we're halfway through the year. It just feels good to step back into those grinder man shoes. You know, like they're a little bit sticky. You're not really quite sure why they're sticky or what's making them sticky. Or, you know, you, you take a drink out of a half drunk can of beer and you're kind of like, I don't really know what's in here, but we'll see what happens. And then you get evil. Did you listen to the remixes for the song on the Grinder Man Two remix album? I sadly did not get around to listening to those. So, I mostly just watched the music video a couple times and listened to the song and looked at the lyrics. Uh, there's one remix with the singer of the National, and that's cool. He sings the bands. verses, and then they do like voice modulation on Nick Cave doing the chorus. And oh, that's cool. The like what you said about having a sad energy 
once you have the guy from the Nationals sing the verses, this song mm-hmm. sounds so sad. It's crazy because that's that dude's voice yeah. is just he's like the Eeyore of indie rock. I'm I feel sad that I haven't heard that so we could talk about it, but I will definitely listen to that. There are these moments. This is like the main thing I want to talk about, and I think that's like the perfect segue. So like, thank you. When they're doing the like evil, evil that part, and then. There isn't necessarily like a key change, I don't think, but it goes into this like, like a sort of pianos become the teeth kind of like chugging mm-hmm. riff mm-hmm. that sounds very post-rocky and pretty. And then it goes back to the evil where it's kind of like, hey, oh, like, you know, Ramones kind of punk kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Those switches make this song transcend the other Grinderman songs, in my opinion. I think this is an incredible piece of work. This is a really great song, and lyrically, it's very strong too. I'm really glad you like it, you liked it so much because I I don't think this is like one of the more popular Grinderman songs. Like if you look at Spotify, it doesn't have that many plays compared to like I feel like this should be one of the like top three or four or five Grinderman songs. I'd, oh, I mean, I haven't for the purposes of the podcast, I haven't heard all of them, but it's an like of the ones we've talked about, this is definitely my favorite. But I love Honeybee. Let's Fly to Mars, and um, No Pussy Blues is definitely a top five, I think. Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, Grinder Mange is great. I think Smoking we should on top do... fives, as you would say. <laughs> I think once we've uh, listened to more Grinder Man songs, and I don't know, maybe this is just a good reason to, d- to do like a... Maybe we can make August our like Grinder Man residency, and we'll just study Grinder Man for a month and do new music along with that. I think we it would be fun to do a draft for these albums Ooh, yeah. for the two Grinder Man. Yeah, Grinder Man just always as well. just so much fun to talk about. Yeah, it's it's because like you know Nick Cave's music is so full of like you know l- later era stuff is you know a little bit more grief stricken, emotional, powerful, and stuff like that. And then you get that kind of mid era where he's like you know playing with being a preacher, but it's still kind of playful Nick Cave stuff, and then. You know, you get Grinderman right smack dab in the middle, which I think was just such a great thing for him to do at that point in his career. Like, it seemed like he got a chance to go back and be 17 again. And I think this song feels like the logical progression from what Grinderman did on the first record because it feels a lot more nuanced and, like, written out. Whereas the mm-hmm. first Grinderman record, I think, is, like, a lot like that Viagra Boys record we listened to, um, Cave World. It's, it's kind of sleazy it's kind of choppy it's kind of you know i definitely think the viagra boys record isn't sloppy at all but i think like it has that kind of energy to it sloppy energy Um, it's it's super tight and i think this song just was like i was listening to it i'm like oh shit this is grinder man this is like one of the best grinder man songs i've ever heard another remix album idea nick cave world nick cave world yep that'd be great nick cave does uh so would it be just make a mashed up album. What was it? Nick Cave songs mashed up with Cave World. I feel like there'd be a joke somewhere in like Warren Ellis on Viagra or mm. Warren Ellis with the Viagra Boys would be cool. Yeah, it's like Nick Cave World. Yeah, Nick Cave World featuring Warren Ellis and the Viagra Boys. It's too bad Dirty Three isn't like actually like a scummy band because <laughs> the Dirty Three with the Viagra Boys would be pretty perfect name wise. Yeah, I don't um, know if I ever told this is a huge tangent and I do have things to say about this song, I promise. But, uh. Okay. Uh, uh, a somewhat a mutual acquaintance of ours, Nick Milby, he, you know, he was really into post rock 
or always has been, I guess. And he loved the Dirty Three and didn't find out until years later that Warren Ellis worked with Nick Cave. And he was so surprised because he was like, I always saw the Dirty Three as like high art and then Nick Cave's like scumbag sleazeball. A lot of people have that opinion of Nick Cave. I think it has a lot to do with his fan base. Well, it's just funny to think that there are people on the other end. Like, I found out about the Dirty Three through Nick Cave, but there's people who found about found out about Nick Cave through the Dirty Three. I, I definitely feel like the Dirty Three have, in some circles, a bigger reputation than Nick Cave. I, I feel like everyone that I've told when we started the podcast that it was like a Nick Cave podcast, everyone I've told either said, I don't know anything about Nick Cave, or they're like, really, you're doing a podcast about Nick Cave? And I'm like, well, yeah, because Nick Cave's like, we like his music. And there's not an, another Nick Cave podcast as of right now, so we're trying to corner that section of the market. Well, there is now, and but there wasn't like, then. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, looking um, at you today's lesson. <laughs> the, wait, are they a Nick Cave podcast? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Have you listened to it? I have not. I have to check that out. Um, we're coming for you today's lesson. I got off track there. Yeah. So, so, so Nick Milby, Dirty Three. Yeah. So I, I think that, um, that would be a funny, like, concept to, like, team them up. Uh, but w- w- let's go back to talking about the song. Why don't you get into some of the stuff you wanted to talk about? Well, I want to, I want to talk to you about something that comes up a lot in these Nick Cave songs that I don't think we've ever, like, discussed at length on the podcast. And that's this, like, okay, shoot, tendency that Nick Cave does a lot. But, We've read tons of books that do this, songs, blah, blah, blah. Where, like, you talk about a romantic relationship, but, like, as if one person's the parent and one person's, like, the child. So, and he's like, who needs children, my little lamb? And, like, old books always have this thing where, like, the husband's, like, a father and looks at his wife like a like a daughter. Like, I don't know, just this weird fucking way that we talk about romance that just makes me feel so weird. Yeah. But it's like just something everybody does, especially like classic literature. I don't know. And I don't, I don't really have anything. I just wanted to bring it up. See, does it make you feel weird too? Do you notice it a lot in like old books and stuff? Well, I think there's a way that people talk about like sex and literature. That's like very pompous and kind of like, uh, coded. We, haven't talked about this on the podcast much, but I just finished reading Providence and I feel like Providence really nailed like romantic writing in some ways, like being able to sort of talk about like coded things like, you know, Robert Black talks about having some fun with uh, Charles Howard or Howard Charles, whatever it is, which we know is uh, they had like sex. So like, I don't know if that's what you're getting at, but like, I think that like language is kind of the separating factor between like love just being like carnal and uh, love being like transcendent, you know? Yeah. It just always made me feel weird, especially growing up in Kentucky, like in the South, there's like always mm-hmm. the stigma that like the man, the husband's got to like provide and protect the wife. Yeah. And even in the song, yeah. Nick Cave says, let me protect you from this evil, which on one hand, that's like a noble thing. Like, you know, this is my partner and I'm going to protect them. But I feel like in this in the culture I grew up in, it goes one way. It's like the man has to protect the woman, and that's just taken as like romantic, and it just always weirded me out. So I took this song more as a love bomb. I do too. I'm just saying this is language that Nick Cave 
uses a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to talk yeah, about that idea. That It's definitely... Uh, it's got that very, like, kind of old school, like, it talks about, like, my little lamb crying like a demon. Um, oh, my precious baby. Yeah. No, I definitely see what you're saying. I think that's a cool point. I, I don't have much to add to that. You are my star. Who needs the moon? You are my star. Or you are my moon. Um, fuck, I had an idea and it lost me. And then on the other hand, another another thing, like a way that like we talk about relationships and songs and books is this like possessive carnal way like this violence like you know sex mm -hmm. is like violence it's like a fight and that also like nick cave does that a lot and i think he does it to great effect but that's also something when i see it i'm like there's no better way for us to talk about this kind of stuff but like it, it's effective <laughs> yeah it, it's interesting i guess that kind of leads me to want to ask like why you think the song is called evil sort of in the context of, like, the language that's being used or, like, maybe in the reason why that language was used for this song? I, I think it's, like, just the idea, like, this person's partner's having a nightmare or something or something bad's going on and mm -hmm. he's protecting them. I had a really dark thought about this song. So I don't know if this is something that we could cut out I'll leave that up to you. I'm just going to say it. I thought a lot about the line, Oh, my precious baby, now it is time that we must speak. They have divided us from our children, and they've tossed them on the heap. Who needs children? Who needs children? Who needs children? And I kept thinking about how in his career after this album, Nick lost two children in the later part of his career. And I just kept thinking about, like what evil really is and how like shapeless and like fully energy it is like full of energy that it is. And like it made the visuals of that video and the context of the song a way scarier for me because I really kind of feel like the idea of evil in literature is like very like cut and dry, like good and evil, like there's colors, there's symbols, there's moments that are evil. There's moments, there's characteristics that are, good and bad and or good and evil and i just started to think a lot about how like the most evil thing possible is like you know losing children or having children taken away from you and like i think that's why it really struck me thinking about that idea where it's like i couldn't even imagine the kind of pain that's created for him you know i and the confusion yeah i didn't even think about that but now i'll probably never be able to not think about that when listening to this song. Yeah, now you bring that well, up, I imagine, like, you know, if they do some more Grinderman shows, this might not be a song they do, because that'd be a very, very surreal section of the song for him to sing. Yeah, because they're... It, or maybe it not. Sort of maybe evokes, it, it can just be a song to him, I don't know. I think he's pretty good about separating that stuff. Um, but I just kept thinking about, like, you know being in such a dark place that you can discard the lives of children as this character is a very evil thing. And it's like a powerful image to evoke for your listeners. So that was one thing I definitely had on my mind. Um, especially the way that children are referred to as like, you know, 
in one breath you're saying they're like a lamb and then crying like a demon in your daddy's arms. And it's like, it's just the way that, that's probably why I like the song so much is I feel like the song is very human. You know, like I'm very interested by like postpartum depression, like when women have babies and then sometimes they like want nothing to do with the baby. And they get depressed because like people were like doting on them and taking care of them. But then when they have the baby, it's as if like nobody cares about them anymore. That people just care about the baby. And, uh, I think that I, I think had a lot, a lot of that more kind of postpartum depression than that. But I mean, I've never had a kid. I'm not trying to be reductionist. I, I, I'm just listing like, uh, potential ways that that impacts women. But, um, yeah, that's kind of what I took from it. I, I'm going to circle back to what I was talking about earlier, and I apologize for this. It just, I've been thinking about it a lot, and it's been really running through my mind all week. Do you think that talking about sex is like, not even talking about it, do you think that sex is like inherently problematic to try to describe it in art? Because there's always like, there is a sense of like violence or ownership or let's say fetishes are involved, or there's like this weird, you know, you're my child, like... It just seems like inherently weird and problematic. It's all about how it's depicted. But not even depict like, is sex just like, is that just how sex is? Like, sex is like that. It can be violent. Like, it, there is, like, uh, an element of, like, ownership or, like, domination or, like, I feel like in this, that's like. like a, th- that's, that's kind of a big question for me to answer. I don't know why that's kind of taken me aback. That's what we do here is we, we talk about big questions. I'm not, say, I'm not t- saying you should know the answers. I don't know the answers either. I just was thinking about how, like, Nick Cave always talks about, like, sex and stuff in, like, this carnal way, but maybe that's just how sex is. Like, I feel like we've, we've gotten so PC with how we, like, refer to most things in society, but we haven't really got there on sex because maybe there's not a way to do it. Well, I think modern times... You can't really think about sex without the word desire. And I think that desire and lust are the two things that fall under romance and love that Nick Cave has been most obsessed with. You can see this recurring theme in a lot of his romantic characters. Like It is like an undying, unwavering, stalker-esque interest in uh, getting laid or you know, protecting somebody so that you can have that sort of sexual gratification later. Like I took care of you. Like I'm your man. Like you're my woman. We have these established roles. It might be one of the things that I think probably makes Nick Cave look the worst of all, of all his like themes that he seems to cover because this does seem to be a recurring element. I think he's remarkably good at it. I feel like it rings true. It, it, It can creep me out at times, but I think that's because it's like, it feels so real. Like I, I think I'm more so talking about the songs where it gets like borderline, like rapey. I don't really think that's what's happening here, but I do think that like there is an like a very, very like violent energy coming from him. I'm not saying that it's like a <sighs> violence is. I it, that's the thing is like is violence inherently negative? If violence is negative, then I guess we that, can't yeah, sort of make a I'm compelling argument. I would say that violence is inherently negative, but, like, it's hard to talk about, like, sexual things without using violent language. So, like, maybe it's not. Because the words for sex are fuck. Yeah. You like, know, and penetrate. 
and I do think Nick Cave always like it's always romantic. It's never like I think about when we were like late teens, early twenties, and like you go on a date with a girl, and then your friends would be like, "Oh, did you fuck her, bro?" Like, "Oh, what?" Like, I hate that shit. That feels so misogynistic and gross. This way most guys talk about women, and Nick Cave doesn't do that. Uh, but there's still just these elements that maybe that's just how we talk about it. Sometimes you just got to get bad and loose. Loose, loose. Um. Well, that kind of makes more sense what you were saying earlier. So if sex, if the language around sex is violent, then it would make sense that someone would want to talk more about a delicate flower as opposed to a bushy vagina or, a, you know, a fat <laughs> vagina like Kendrick Lamar <laughs> would say, you know. But I mean, if you're asking me, like, there's nothing I like more than like that image of like, God, if, if any of my coworkers ever heard this, but I don't care. There's nothing There's nothing I like more than that, you know, <laughs> feel weird saying it now. There's nothing I like more than, like, seeing that, like, path to the vagina. And, you know, I'm not, like, a – I don't like bald vaginas. It's not my thing. I like uh, hair. Like, I like seeing hair. And, like, to me, like, that feels weird just expressing that, but – if we're to believe and know and, and, and really know that sex is a natural, beautiful thing, then I think it's also okay if we like hide that violent language and use words like, you know, even like having sex, I think is less weird to say than, you know, I want to penetrate you, you know? And then, and then a lot of sex ends up, ends up kind of moving into like dirty talk, like I'm going to fuck you. And like, as long as it's consensual, that's kind of an okay thing. Right. Oh, for sure. I think any as long as it's consensual, like anything's an okay thing in my book. I, I, I am. I've just always been like enamored with. You know, I feel like indie rock is for the most part like sexless. Like it's not something that you talk about. That's like we save that for punk or hip hop, like other genres of music talk about sex. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I just love. Even though this isn't like the most sexual song, it just made me think of like how Nick Cave always. That, that's that's a part of his identity. And for us, it's uncomfortable to even talk about it, you know, with each other. Like, You know what's know interesting is, is is that you read this song as sexual at all. There is like a sexual tension to it. But to me, this feels very akin to the energy of Tupelo where, but in this case, it's like there's this couple who have this kind of like depraved, like, energetic sex in like hotel rooms and then the woman gets pregnant and then the man and and the woman either one or the other or both become infatuated with the baby and it's their lamb but it's also this thing that's tearing them apart so that they can't continue to have that depraved exciting sex and then you get that final verse where it's about the broken dream the moon protecting from evil you know and it's almost as if you're evoking an image that like this, cr- this thing that you have created with your love and your sex and your passion has also created an evil thing. So it's as if, like, good sex can't exist without something evil happening either underneath it or veiled beneath it. Yeah, you could... I never... I hadn't thought of it that way, but, like, you could read the song as a being about, like, a miscarriage or something. Yeah, like, it, it reminds me a lot of, like, Rosemary's Baby. Great director. That was a joke, and that? that the director that was like a 
scumball. I like, uh, I heard this thing on a podcast recently. They brought up Louis C.K. and they were like, oh, I'm a really big fan of Louis C.K. Scandal noted. And it, it, that, I feel like that's what you have to say with Roman Kaplansky. Like, it's like, oh, I love Rosemary's Baby. Scandal acknowledged. I, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to follow up Rosemary's Baby. <sighs> you know, I think we should talk about the music video a little bit. You like the music video? I didn't watch it. I didn't know that. You haven't one. seen it? Mm-mm. Yeah, so it looks like a fan-made video because all of Nick Cave or Grinderman's old videos look super granulated on uh, YouTube because they were uploaded like 15 years ago. So there's a version uploaded that has like one or one and a half minutes of like white screen at the end. But the video is the so- is basically just a song, yeah, and I then it sh- it shows these images of an orange canary and then this like aqueous like alien looking creature that's very unsettling to look at it looks like something that thrives in like the deep 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 belly of the ocean and directed by john hillcoat our boy john yeah the classic uh you know grinder main vibe going on here yeah it just feels like a video that would be playing in the lobby of like a a sex theater like a porno theater <laughs> yeah well i feel like, like the grinder main videos are all about like pairing pure images yeah Yeah. with like gross ones so you got the bird so like a bird is gross close-ups if you want to talk in like slurs like there's a a slur or like a colloquial term for women that's a bird and then i like british you get this i don't even know if that's a slur mm -hmm. yeah uh i think it's akin i don't don't think it's it's akin to like chick or like yeah oh i'm hanging out with my girl that kind of thing um yeah, classic. But, and yeah, yeah so they, I think they it, gotta edit this video. It just has, like you said, it's just like half half the video is nothing. It do be like that sometimes. It do be like that. Um, it's kind of like these. I don't know if you've seen these videos going viral online, but they make Nintendo sixty four cartridges. Uh, but it's like restaurants from the nineties sixty have like a Red Lobster sixty four. No. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Like you take these like profane sort of mundane images and then you mix them with like this cursed image. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I did see an 8-bit, a GIF of like an 8-bit Diagon Alley someone made that was... That's awesome. It's got, it's like that uh, Bloodborne uh, remake, right? They're like remaking oh, yeah. it for like PlayStation graphics. That was cool. It's so weird. We uh, This is a little bit of a tangent, but like we went through like this 10-year stretch where everybody was like, we got to remaster old games, and now people are, like, doing the opposite. we got to make these games look old. I know, right? Isn't that interesting? Well, the vintage quality really appeals to people in this day and age. I could see that becoming a thing, like, oh, we're going to do Resident Evil 7, but uh, 16-bit. <laughs> I would love to see Resident like people, Evil. People would eat that up. I think, you could, I think, Res, I think that Capcom could make a, an effective Resident Evil game. Um, Last of Us for the NES. What do you think a Resident Evil game would look like if it was directed by Nick Cave? Good question. I, I think... It'd definitely be like an old town somewhere, right? Like, not like an old town, but like a 1930s or 1940s like town. I feel like it would look so much like Resident Evil 7 because I feel like it would be set in like the American South, like Resident Evil 7 is. Swamps, like kind of hillbilly people. I feel like it would just look like Resident Evil 7. Dude, that game is so scary. Every time that fucking guy comes out of the wall and you don't really... I guess... You don't really... You kind of have to figure out how you can hide. 
Dude, yeah. I, I like, you play that game with the volume up and like, dude, I, there, there were parts where like, I was having so much fun, but like part of me was like, I don't know if I can keep going. It's really traumatic at times. Like when you get pushed into it that really, like, pit with the, the bees. If you haven't played it, you don't know, but like, there were parts where like, I was, I was like, I don't know if I want to finish this game. Mm-hmm. And I, I knew I did, but like, you know, that part of you was like, oh, this is so scary. Yeah, it's a scary game. It's uh, one might say that so it's yeah, an it, it evil would look like game. It would have the campiness of Resident Evil Four, but the setting of Resident Evil Seven. That's yeah. what it would look like. Yeah, I mean, I feel like even the tone for Resident Evil One feels very Nick Cave. Like you could hear like a, like a like a couple of bells in the background, like ding dong, there was a zombie, <laughs> ding <laughs> dong. You know, maybe that'll be the next phase of his career. He'll move into video games. Honestly, before. they could do they could do a Resident Evil game with the soundtrack from the velvet queen and then whenever mm-hmm. there's a zombie in the room where are you where are you where are you where are you oh that would be God, so be scary <laughs> anyway we should I, I i'm i'm good to wrap up grinder man if you have something else you want to add i don't want to cut it short but i feel like i touched on everything I, no i just, I just want to see how uncomfortable i can make you and i succeeded well everybody that was evil by grinder man i'm pretty inspired to do another Grinderman track. Maybe we'll do a whole month of it. If you like that idea, hit us up. Let us know. Uh, you can email us at jubileestreetpod at gmail.com. Any HR complaints can also be directed to that email. Um, Buffy does try to get back to you within a 72 to 200-hour time frame, so do give her time. She is typing with pause on a keyboard, so be nice. And then we just started a Discord channel. There's a link for that in the episode description. We really, really are trying to cultivate like a community for the podcast. Um, if you're an older listener, younger listener, if you're a newer listener, um, it really is a place that's going to be like for kindness, for fun, just to talk about music, talk about Nick Cave, talk about, you know, food, comics, anything that you're into, you know, we'll, we'll, we really want to fill that out. So if that's something you're interested in, check it out. And then otherwise, um, I'll see you later, my little demon babies. See you later. What does Duncan Trussell say? Doesn't he say something like that all the time? I'll see you later at the end of the world, my little demon my little meat, meat sacks. Baby. My little meat sacks. Yeah. There was a time when men could talk about meat sacks without being called sexist. <laughs> <laughs>